Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoilers special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the latest slice of goofy, gooey Pixar magic. Aw, isn't it so lovely? It is, of course. Let me just quickly Google. Luca, Luca, look at that, Luca, hey! It's this early biopic of Luca Brasi, the right-hand man of Don... No, no, I, if I'm honest, I haven't seen the film. I'm, I was hoping to bluff my way through the whole thing. You're like, uh, he's called anyway. Luca, he sleeps with the fishes? I know <laughs> yes. this, I've got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely, that's what I thought it was about. Oh my God, let's not kink shame the man just because he likes to sleep with the fishes, honestly. Oh, Chris. Oh, Chris. Oh, come on, that's the Godfather. Oh, no. Feel the hake flowing through you. Uh, there's a time and a place for such jokes, and it's not now. Oh. Anyway, listen, whilst I'm quickly watching Luca, uh, here to talk about the movie, because I've got the completely wrong end of the stick, here to talk about the movie are three colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have, of course, Beth Webb. Hello. We have Ben Travis. Hello. And last but not least, John Nugent. Hello. Ciao. Ciao. Uh, and that's the extent of my Italian, folks. Uh, how are we all? Good. Uh, Great. Stoked be- to be, be- talking be- about this. <laughs> I don't know. Very limited Italian oh, as well. It's going to be one of those podcasts, isn't it? Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, yes, it's good to have you all here to talk about Luca, which, Ben, you are the big old Disney Pixar expert, is the what Pixar movie? How many? How many? Oh in God, twenty something. I would say maybe twenty-four, something like that. That's a total guess. I'm going to look it up. Ben, you dis- you're disgraceful, and look, you disgust me. It's it's Disney versity, not Pixar versity, or not yet anyway. Well, so, it's Disney Pixar versity, and you know, in case you don't know, Ben, uh, twenty-four, twenty-four feature films. I think I said twenty-four. Didn't I say twenty-four? You did say 24. Yes. Yeah, but that was a guess. Yeah, that was it, a guess. It was. It you're was not like an me. informed guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're not like me, who knows that there's 24 MCU films. As things stand, there are 24 MCU films. There are. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How many How many Pixar films can you name, Ben? Because I can name all 24 <laughs> oh MCU films. Oh my God. Films. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2. Oh, he's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it. Oh, it's hard trying to do them in order. Uh, I, could do, I could do them backwards, but, you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Finding Nemo. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh wait, I don't have the actual list here. So give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> give me a second. I promise you, we'll talk about uh, Luca in a second. But uh, Pixar films in order. All right. So you you said Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story Two, Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo next. Correct. Yes. The Incredibles. Bingo. Um. Then oh, shit, was shit it one. Cars after that. Yes. And yes. then it was. Hang on, let me just get them in order. Uh, Wally was around then. Maybe Ratatouille was first, though. Oh, it was first. Yes. Okay. Oh my god. I'm Ratatouille now. followed okay, by, by it, Wally. Uh, I feel like I'm learning to ride a bike down a steep Italian hillside. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm up to Ratatouille and Wally, and then it was Toy Story three. After that. Oh, Ben, you fucked. No. <laughs> no. Um, that was valiant. I was oh. still going. You say family and I say incompetent and amateurish, but uh, <laughs> but hey ho, different strokes, right? There's a cars two in there somewhere and a cars. Oh Ben, three you've just and... given up. Look at oh yourself. You've lost any shred of dignity and, and <laughs> respect I have for you. Has now gone. Look at you, Ben. Can't really look at you in the face. <laughs> yeah, no. We're gonna have to Ben, can you turn your camera off for the <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, that's fair. I've let everybody um, down. 
Wally was followed by Up. Of course. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, then, Toy then, Story then Toy 3. Story 3. And then, then Cars 2. Correct. Then, and then Brave. Yes, Ben. Then I'm going to say Monsters University. And you should say Monsters University because that's correct. What's oh next, Ben? God. What's next? <laughs> um, there Monsters were two University. in 2015. Uh, they, took a, they took a year off. Good Dinosaur. Yes. one of them. Mm-hmm. And the other one was... Oh, give me a clue. Give me a clue. Because I, I can get there. I can get there. <laughs> I mean, if I if I did, you would feel a lot of, a lot of joy. Inside Out was 2015, of course. Oh, I always think that's been super recent. Okay. Yes. So uh, Inside okay. Out, uh, then... Inside Out, then The Good Dinosaur. Then The Good Dinosaur. Then was it Cars 3? No. No, Ben. Oh, no. God. This is, why this is where it falls apart. It was Finding Dory. Finding Dory, which, <gasps> John, I'm with you. Five star Finding Dory. I like Finding Dory it's a lot. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, okay. Then we're into Cars 3. I'll accept that. Okay. You're in the home stretch. Home stretch. Then it's the order of these ones. Uh, so, generally around there, you've got Coco. Yes. Is that next? Yes. Um, I'll accept. Then after Coco was. Five to go. Including Luca, which I'll okay. give you as a freebie. Hang on, so generally I've got Toy Story 4, Onward, Soul, mm-hmm. Incredible, Incredibles 2. There we Incredibles go. Two is next. Look at that. Lord. I'm then... saying 21 out of 24, so that's not bad. Okay. That's okay. not bad. Maybe 22 at a, at a pinch. God. At yeah. a pinch. Right, now I do the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe back. No, I don't. I don't. It's time to actually start talking about this movie. Um, and, and hope that I don't need a backup because I forgot to press record on my backup. I've done it now. Imagine we missed all that. That was all lost what a to shame the ether. that would be. That unscripted drama. <laughs> uh, anyway, before we get into talking about Luca, first we're going to hear from the people who made it. So John here uh, spoke to the film's director, Enrico Casarosa, and the film's producer Andrea Warren a couple of weeks ago. John, same time? They were in the same room together? It wasn't two separate interviews? They were in the same room, yes. Well, uh, they were in the same Zoom room. Uh, the same Zoom room. Yes. Okay. So you spoke to him about this lovely, heartwarming sea monster tale. And here is what they had to say. Do please enjoy. We are thrilled to welcome to the Empire Spoiler Special Podcasts, the director of Luca, Enrico Casarosa, and producer Andrea Warren. Welcome, guys. How are you both? Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi, we're doing good. Yes, good coffee, caffeinated and ready and looking forward to your, our chat. <laughs> Excellent. That's that's the attitude we want. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, this is this is a spoiler special, so um, let's let's begin at the end if we may. If we go I love the film by the way and the post-credits sequence uh, is just wonderful. You have Sasha Baron Cohen as Uncle Hugo. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we couldn't quite we couldn't quite believe it either when it happened. <laughs> do we? Do we have? A, yeah, it, it, and actually, it's a wonderful way to talk about how that happened because we this is a cameo role and actually that's how we got him in the door like it's a small thing we're going to be done very quickly you have a window and 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 luckily you did um but he we 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 riffed so much on that monologue in the beginning of the movie with him that actually we had so much material for him he just found you know he's just such an amazing improviser 
that we were able to, we, we wanted to have more Ugo. He's so fun. He's such a scene stealer there that we cobble this scene at the end of our credits as a wonderful little button um, with the idea to, to, to just like, well, let's use more of this awesome stuff that he gave us. Similar vibe. We didn't rewrite it. We didn't write that button. We just used more of the stuff he gave us for the earlier <laughs> scene. And one of our amazing editor, Tim Fox, came up with this idea because for the longest time we were figuring out like, well, is he talking to himself? How could we make this work? And our editor went like, let's put Giuseppe the fish in there. And I was like, that is genius. Uh, so you had someone to talk to. It wasn't only the audience. Um, so that's how it came together. I, I just love that, that wonderful collaboration. Uh, they gave yeah. us that little moment. And it's also a little bit of, um, I would almost call it a little homage to Andrew Stanton finding Nemo because it will call back to a, to a, to a button that, <laughs> that it's yes. uh, in the same vein. Yeah, I mean it's great. You the, the very last shot is actually of Giuseppe, the uh, the goatfish. That's he gets the final say. Yeah. But uh, as we speak, um, Sasha Baron Cohen is not on IMDb listed. Was this a role you wanted to keep under wraps deliberately? It was a little bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. I think we need to add it there. It's maybe time to <laughs> add it because I think that the cats is out of the bag. Yeah, because I I saw on um, Wikipedia. For some reason, it claims that John Ratzenberger is Mr. Hugo. That's good to know. We need to ratify that. John Ratzenberger is not actually in the movie. He's not? Okay, because he's often in Pixar movies, right? But he, he didn't sneak his way in this time. No, yeah, we were just trying to make some new traditions. Uh, our tradition, we were trying to start, I don't know if they're going to really pick it up in the next movie, was to put Peter Sohn in. It was the director of The Good Dinosaur. Mm. who plays uh, Chicho, the, 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 the helper of Ercole. <laughs> All right, that's lovely. The other thing I wanted to talk about from right at the very end, in the closing credits, I noticed you have the line uh, produced in our slippers around the Bay Area, which is such a lovely touch. I mean, what this is obviously a product of the, of the pandemic. What percentage was actually produced in your slippers? Yeah, I mean, I think the early phases of production, we were together. That was really when we were settling on the foundations of the story um, and the look of the film. Um, but the moment that we started like shot production, uh, that is when we all had to suddenly work from home. And, you know, we were madly grabbing computers and cords and and uh, leaving the office and not sure what to imagine. You know, I think that was part of what was strange about this, because it'd feel like, are we going back? No, we're not going back. Are we going to do this? No, we're not. You know, and I think, you know, none of us could have imagined the duration of this or, or the severity. So um, it was a strange time. But yes, it was all shot production. And so um, I think that, uh, you know, we were we were really felt grateful that we could keep working. There were so many things around the world that just had to shut down. Um, so um, we stayed on schedule. And, you know, I do think that, you know, having the purpose and having the shared responsibility of creating this film kind of gave us something that that, you know, even though it was challenging, you know, um, gave us a way to connect and to move forward. And I think ultimately helped us get through uh, that whole time. Did it change the film that these under being made under different circumstances? Do you think it would have been a different film if it was made more sort of traditionally? 
Um, not usually. It made us be a little more pragmatic. And in some ways, sometimes it helped me like, you know, we had to prioritize. And, and to be honest, that is a great exercise. It's like every moment we were saying, like, what's the most important thing in this shot? Is there anything that we don't have to worry about? Uh, so I think we let go perfectionism and we made sure that, that we put really all our time and effort and talent in what was the most important thing. So I think as a director, it was a great exercise and a great focus for me to always be able to remind everybody, we don't need to fix that little tiny thing. I don't care if it doesn't look wrong. And if I'm looking at the protagonist, I don't, you know, you know what I mean? So it became this kind of like, let's be scrappy. We do need to be scrappy because we might not finish. We, there was definitely a little a sense of urgency, uh, but I think it was a great exercise. in like, what do you what do you need? It just kind of almost, you know, becomes a concentrate of all you need. And I think the movie actually, I would argue, probably benefited from it. Because I, obviously, I know uh, Pixar films sort of always evolve and change over time. I mean, was this film a very different beast when you first started out? A little bit. It was a little more complex. I mean, the, the DNA and the heart, you always want to see a little bit of a diamond in the rough, and but it was hard to see it. But it was, you know, it was still about kids. There were two, there was there was more kids. Um, and so sometimes it's about taking things out that are a little bit in the way. We had three kids on an adventure to meet a fourth kid. And it was like, well, I think we, we, we're not focusing enough on the main relationship, which was Luca and Alberto. They were on a quest. They were a little bit, it was a little bit of a fantasy quest. And we realized, well, actually the fun here is really living into this town and having adventures in town. So we, we went for, the first time we wrote it, we went for a big finale with huge monsters. Alberto turned into a huge kraken magically. And we realized, <laughs> I was like, well, that's the ending for a different movie. Yeah. We want a smaller scope. We want to be with the kids. What is the true kid like scope? Um, so that, that was, the kind of things we realized it was about simplifying getting to the heart of things we didn't have the ending interestingly and that's what wonderful to talk about in this forum it, it, it took me a good conversation with my best friend kind of halfway through the the kind of first few um script you know versions to realize that saying goodbye to that friendship that the fact that me and my best friend had to go our separate ways was a huge part of that story that because you grow up, thanks to the amazing friends you have, but then you've grown up and now it's time to kind of sadly, bittersweetly carry that friendship into the world, but saying goodbye to it. So it, it, uh, it really owned in on an ending. We boarded it, we wrote it, and then we give us this amazing North Star because, oh, we felt emotion. We felt there was something. Now, now the sentence about friendship had an ending, which is like, well, isn't it amazing how these friendships can help us find ourselves? And how sad and bittersweet that we have to say goodbye to them, but don't we carry them into the world in the way we 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 carry ourselves and we we find our identity? So that that was a really interesting part of it. Finding the the ending wasn't right there, um, right away. Yeah, that's a really emotional scene when Alberto and Luca say goodbye to each other. 
that I mean, that really got me. I, I really wanted to talk about the, I mean, it's fascinating that Alberto was a Kraken at one point. <laughs> right. I, I wanted yeah. to ask about the, the, the concept of the sea monsters, because I know that you slightly based them on like myths and local Italian legends, but uh, did, did it always sort of change the rules of your like fantasy universe? Were they always like humans on dry land and monsters in the water? Yeah, they always had the sense, because one thing that I think was always interesting to me, even pitching it, is that there was a metaphor for how we feel off or not fitting in as kids. So there was something like, like, oh, yeah, I remember that feeling of like, I don't even know, my body's changing, things are happening, I don't know who I am, I don't, I definitely don't fit in with that group. And so there was just this sense that it felt like a great metaphor for the difficulty of, of growing up. Uh, so we had it in the beginning, the, the, so we knew that there was this sense of hiding in plain sight. So the idea that like they can look a certain way and it comes from stories of changelings of all sorts. Actually, that folklore comes from the Selkies, for example, have it in, in Ireland. The uh, I, I love Japanese folklore and that they have um, uh, foxes. That, well, you, you might you might meet a, a, a strange lady while she's a fox. Right. So there's this sense of what what you know, there's more that meets the eye. That's where it came from. And then we did a lot of research in Italy and there's wonderful legends in Italy in the area. Uh, sometimes there are huge sea dragons. Sometimes there was one that was really wonderful. It's Colapesce, which is a southern myth. And it's of a boy that loves the water so much that it becomes a fish. He's always in the water. And um, the thing I loved about that story is that, it, 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 you know, people believe it's actually inspired by deep divers. You know, you can already in ancient times, people would learn to hold their breath so long that people would start thinking these guys have turned into fish, <laughs> which was fascinating. But yeah, that, those were some of the inspiration. And then the research we did in the area, there's a lot of, you know, say, I, I talk about St. George and the dragon as being also visuals that you see all over Genoa. That's the symbol mm -hmm. of Genoa, which you might find interesting from the UK, like the, the, the flag of Genoa was borrowed by the fleet of, uh, the United Kingdom at the time in the Mediterranean because Genoa was so powerful at the time that if you had a flag, the pirates wouldn't, uh, a, a flag of theirs, the pirates wouldn't mess with you. And so that they paid a certain amount of money to Genoa to use it. Uh, I think the mayor of Genoa sent uh, to the queen a, a joke a mail recently going, you know, maybe you, you owe us a little bit of a rental fees here on the flag. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it, that's also part of, of the visual we want to put in the town, that there's a bit mm -hmm. of a sense of, you know, let's kill <laughs> some sea monsters. Yeah. But that, I mean, you're right, that that first scene when Luca gets out of the water for the first time, it is almost, it almost like body horror, isn't it? It reminded me so much of, yeah, of my puberty and as a teenage boy, like <laughs> your body changing. Is that, 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 was that something that was conscious for you in sort of imagining this process? Yeah, you know, maybe not in that scene. It's funny that you felt that. It's very, very interesting. It, it, I think we was a little more conscious in, in the sense of once you're in town and you're really trying to hide from you're not only the girl you just met, but the father of the girl you just met, right? That felt also very 
Mm. Like, oh, of course, actually, you just met someone new and she doesn't know everything about you. And now you meet a dad who's, you know, I mean, there was something fun about like, of course, the dad is the worst person you should be meeting because <laughs> he loves to hunt sea monsters. So there were some some moments we were a little more aware of it and others less. And uh, perhaps I'm reading too much into this, but I'm interested to hear if if you were thinking about it, could you read a sort of a queer or LGBTQ allegory in a film like this? I mean, there's, you know, a, a young man having to hide his true identity and then literally showing his true colours at the end. Was that something that you you had thought about or talked about? We did talk about it, especially the ending uh, uh, does have this wonderful sense of like, here, uh, take me, or, take it or leave it. This is me. Yeah. And it just felt like a wonderful uh, a sense of embracing the fullness of yourself. What we, the more we talked about it, the, the more we felt the best way to approach it is to uh, allow for this openness and everybody to project their own difference, to, mm. to let everybody in. Because I feel I experienced it, I experienced it a certain way, just being nerdy and bit of losers with my best friend. Um, that's where I started with it. But I feel that then, yes, yeah, slowly you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of wonderful other readings of it that will feel meaningful and feel uh, important. We've we heard from people of, of different race. We've heard from people that felt like this. There, there's even a little bit of a, you know, what about the, the, the problem with immigration in Italy? So we thought of, about all those and we always felt like, well, it's important to leave this open because we want people to to feel it in their own way. Um, I hope that happens because, yeah, otherness, there's certainly a sense of xenophobia there too, right? And, and fear of anything that other is a big a thing that then this kid's curiosity bridges a bit. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad you've, you felt that way. I hope people bring their own uh, story to it. And, and last, uh, lastly, I'll say it's wonderful that when we talked about friendship, like, well, friendship truly is the white. I don't care. I, um, I, is this too much? No, it isn't. I, 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 you know, they're the people that, if anything, enable you, mm. even before you might know it, to be yourself, you know, your full self. Yeah, the line at the end from uh, from Luca's grandma about how some people will accept him, but um, will never accept him, but some will. I thought that, I think that will really resonate with a lot of people, you know. I think we didn't want it to be, like, oh, you just, you know, show yourself and then it's all totally fine and everything, you know, but that there is, you know, but I, that the hope is really that these kinds of moments and these kind of connections become the seeds of change, you know, that it isn't quite real, that it just all happens at one moment, but, but that that is what it is about in life is, is finding those, those ones that finding the good ones, you know, finding the people who who do connect with you, who do appreciate you, who do root for you and building from there. Um, what I also loved uh, about that this, this sort of finale was that the two old ladies are revealed to be secret <laughs> sea monsters at the end, um, which is just wonderful. And it kind of teased the possibility that maybe there, there could be a whole sort of secret community of sea monsters that we don't even know about. Had you, had you talked about having more of them just like living in, in secrets? Yeah, I mean, we, we went back and forth on that scene. That, uh, would we have more? And, and we tried actually one version of it where there were more. And, and we realized there was something kind of fun about having one note as opposed to many. Because that might have felt like, oh, maybe half. It, it felt like metaphorically, it was just a little bit hard to tell. Like, oh, they're, 
there's this was always the here and why were they all hiding there and and so we kind of like that and we also we don't get to meet a lot of people in town so we wanted to make sure that we had clocked them and these two ladies are definitely a little th- a thread through the rest of the act yeah we we, we like the idea that there, there's a few but we also the other side of this is you want to make sure that there's something a little bit special about what these kids are doing right and and so we felt like well Let's make it an exception with these ladies, but let's not make it a completely widespread, you know? Yeah. Though there are, you know, we also joke that probably grandma obviously has had some, you know, <laughs> she hangs out over there. <laughs> yeah. She's had some, she's had some life stories to tell. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, th- we, we talked about this, the, the really emotional final scene with um, Luca and Alberto. Did you have, did you talk about, uh, what would Luca go on to do at school? I mean, this is um, quite a significant further step for him to be sort of existing in the human life. I mean, have have there been talks about what what the next stage of the story is, or even a sequel? Yeah, I mean, we 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 at first uh, before we did the credits, as, as you know, the credits are kind of trying to show a little bit of that, and sure. that was our hope to kind of. To kind of maybe answer a little bit the question of what's life after it. Um, at the beginning, I was joking that you know I imagined him on Life's magazine cover with a with a valedictorian hat and 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 like you know a, a, a diploma and like you know Sea Monster first Sea Monster gets a PhD or something, which we were joking. But but it's it's kind of this sense of more and giving him more giving in Genova there's also of course a lot of a love letter to my home city mm. and the fact that he'd be taken care of so I mean actually if anything we struggle sometimes because if you don't give enough details here you're going to be like where is he going is he is he going to be okay and then and, and you know it was important like the parents coming around we needed to make sure that, that we bought that these parents understand them and allow for this chance, right? To, he's got to go into the world. And that line that you were talking about was the key thing, grandma giving a little bit of wisdom. So it, I, I always, the other joke I have, it's like, you know, the sequel is like a parent's trap version of uh, 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 Luca and Julia trying to get Julia's parents back together. <laughs> but they're separate. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, we haven't talked too much more about about that. It's just that it was important that we showed also that he's being his full self. Yeah. Um, that he's he's gonna he's gonna show the world slowly that right. sea monsters are here and and um, it's okay. But it's interesting too, though. I mean, I think in the notion of understanding kind of what he does, because and this isn't something we've talked a lot about, but there was an older version of the film um, where we actually started with a grown-up Luca coming back and kind of remembering and you know diving into the sea. And I think that the thing that part of what made that that opening so tricky was that it was hard to define what he did and have it feel satisfying. You know, it, it um, even though there's so much possibility, it felt so much better to just leave that really open ended and then um, let that just breathe uh, as opposed to kind of have to have this definition. So it was an interesting element that if there was something very charming about that, but it, it always was, was it was too hard to exactly say what he had become. Yeah, it was a, a little bit of a cinema paradiso kind of yeah. structure. 
that yeah it, it became like well what is it is it did he work for nasa did he what did he do and it, yeah it just kind of trivialized it in a strange way it's um it's really interesting the 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 sort of lucas struggle with his identity throughout i mean there's a really key moment where he kind of betrays alberto and yeah. just calls him a sea monster but is that kind of key to the themes of these film really it's like he's sort of struggling with who he is and, and almost kind of hates himself at one point. Yeah. I'm glad you, you bring that scene up because it, it was, it was always important to, you know, you have a friendship moment. So we knew you had to knife each other in some mm. way. Right. Mm. And for the longest time, it was a little more like, you know, them kind of landing a punch on each other, like a 50, 50, and we realized though that we needed our protagonist, that we needed Luca to to be more wrong, to really do the like, oh, don't do that, like let him be really, really wrong. It just became more visceral, and it just like punches you in the gut when you watch it. I I think it's an interesting moment also because I think our our composer Dan Romer absolutely nailed that moment. Every time I feel that, I feel that punch, and the music is half of that um moment of course um oh no don't do that oh no whatever you've done right and and whatever i done pretty quickly comes into his head um it felt important to let him negate himself right this huge part of him yeah there's this wonderful like you know i i i'm not that uh and then it enabled us to to load of much more meaning than having to try to apologize, having to make it up to Alberto. And then it, it enabled us to kind of even try to apologize, but that's not going to do it. Words are not going to be enough anymore. And then it loaded up with more uh, juice, our third act. So you, 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 we realized actually you should try the impossible. You should try and, and, and show him, show Alberto that he cares about this friendship and this is what they are. So he races by himself. And that all together did this wonderful little adjustment that now then you, you had Alberto that could, and Alberto can come back together. So then it was like, oh, how are they going to come back together? Um, so that was an important thing in the beginning. They used to race together, and it wasn't. It didn't give us this wonderful opportunity of of Luca truly stepping up to 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 um, make up for that awful mistake. You know mm -hmm. that, that he says, "I wish I could take it back." You know? And I think it nicely embedded some real storytelling in the race. I think the danger of films that kind of have action or competitions, you know, um, in them is that you can kind of tune out if it's kind of following this expected path. And Who's so going to win if that was yeah, the only thing? They're just, they're okay, they're back together. They're going to win, you know, kind of feeling. And so it was it was nice to kind of have to to require sort of the the makeup um, of all three kids um, over the course of, of a, the action of the race. Yeah, I think we think often of like, how do you, how do you, when do you not know what's going to happen next, right? We become such sophisticated uh, uh, audiences, and so I think it's very satisfying as a director when someone tells you like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen next, and so we hope to have hit that sometimes. You know, because sometimes you need the scene that you that needs to be there and it feels right and everybody loves it too. But then you want to want a little bit in this place of like, I, I don't know what's going to happen next, which hopefully we hit in a, in a few of those moments. Guys, I think that's my time, but thank you so much uh, for yeah. the time. It's been fun. Nice to yeah, see thank you. Thank you. John. I appreciate it. Cheers. Take care. Chatting. Thank you.
All right, so that was Enrico Casarosa and Andrea Warren. Now it's time for us to get into Luca, the 24th Pixar film, as we've all established. And uh, what do we make of it? Where does this stand for you? This isn't an episode of the ranking, obviously. We've done that uh, a couple of years ago. Might need to update it. But uh, where does this stand for you in the Pixar oeuvre? Highly. I, I think I, I for one love the short film that um the director Enrico Casarosa did, La Luna, which um opened for Brave at the time when short films do they still open short films for Pixar films anymore? I feel like they ditched it. It feels that way, doesn't it? it you know, uh, maybe because they're now on Disney Plus. Ex- well, they seem to be exclusively on Disney Plus. Mm, so maybe. maybe I don't know. There's maybe a different channel on Disney Plus where they'll put those those films. I hope so. It's certainly, a theatrical experience if you sit down and you watch a short film followed by yeah the new Pixar movie in a way is- that only Pixar could do. So I yeah, yeah I adored Lilina, um, which uh, he was Oscar nominated for. So I already have very very high hopes for this. Um, I loved Onward. Onward was my last pre-pandemic film, so I hold very fond memories of seeing that on a big screen. But yeah, no, this this doesn't quite follow the same sort of path that a lot of Pixar films hold. I don't think it's very rooted in childhood memories. It's very sensory and very much modelled around like a childhood experience, which I really, really enjoyed. It's not quite got the same splendor I would say is like a Wally or the same kind of it's not quite as thematic as like Ratatouille but it's got this gorgeous little friendship at the heart of it it's a really beautiful tale of self-discovery that's embedded in more of like an adolescent experience which is quite new so I think it's treading quite a lot of new ground here which I always enjoy um from a studio yeah I really like this I thought it was uh maybe mid-table Pixar for me I don't don't know that it was quite up there with their sort of stone cold masterpieces of which there I think there are a few I also don't think it was a bad film by any stretch and I think maybe I think our review was three stars was it yeah we gave it three stars I think I would have gone four I think I I think I was a bit warmer on it than than the official review I thought it was really sweet I it charmed the absolute pants off me and uh as you would have heard in the interview I mentioned to the director i i really liked or i at least picked up on this sort of ideas of growing up in puberty almost i thought the sort of sea monster stuff was very much like a puberty metaphor i maybe that was just me but like sort of changing body and discovering yourself um was really interesting and also and this is something that i think has been talked about a lot in sort of press and and reaction pieces to this film is like this sense of otherness and it's kind of like you can read a really interesting allegory into it Mm. any sort of lgbtq story or immigrant story or anything like that i I think the sort of the the gay allegory in particular feels really strong in this film whether or not that was intentional i think is up for debate but you know this idea of a, a a kid literally showing his true colors by the end of the film i thought was was really lovely in a very you know simple and slight slight in not a bad way just in a in a you know it's it's not trying to be anything more than the story it is and i i think mm. i think that's lovely it was really nice mm. it's a nice film it's a nice film and the stakes ben i would i would say that you know one of the accusations if you can if you can accuse pixar of anything is that sometimes they will go to the the Pixar playbook every now and again. And and this is 
like most Pixar movies, at its heart, a, a buddy movie, a story of, of friendship. But it also felt to me like it was treading new ground or new water in that it wasn't it wasn't particularly high stakes, that the, the stakes on display here were emotional. And by that, I don't mean that any, you know, the, most Pixar movies are not about, you know, they're not necessarily about life and death situations, and they're certainly not about saving the world for the most part. But there does seem to be a, a, a kind of frenzied, action movie template that is imposed upon a lot of the films even something like soul um had that aspect of it to an extent uh, and this doesn't yeah there's a chase scene towards the end but it feels to me like it's it's you know it's as relaxed uh, as the 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 town in which it's set for me now that's a different that's a different little that's a different uh, string to pixar's bow for me Definitely. I think a lot of people have picked up on the sort of uh, Ghibli resonances. And I think a lot of that comes through in the tonal element of like, hey, some of these Ghibli films that we love, like the whole point of My Neighbor Totoro is that there is no real villain or there's no real sense of conflict. It's just, hey, let's put these characters in this situation and relish in these natural environments. For me, this one is a total kind of mix of, on the one hand, you've got a bit of Ponyo in there. You've got your basically Little Mermaid story, fish out of water tale. You've got that kind of Porco Rosso uh, Italian setting. This is post-war. I think Porco Rosso is post-war as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, Ghibli, obviously, as much as it's there's a lot of Japanese cultural specificity in there, they love to do European environments as well. So I think a lot of that comes through. And for me, I think I said in the Empire podcast review when we talked about this film, I am head over heels in love with the uh, dream sequences in this film. I think are absolutely stunning and remind me a lot of the dream sequences in The Wind Rises. Uh, where the kind of central character in that is dreaming of um, of flights and planes, which is a sort of big obsession for Miyazaki. So there's various swirls of kind of ghibliness in here. But I think also it does feel classically Pixar as well. Like you said, that buddy movie template is very much there. You have two characters who kind of play off each other the whole way through. And for me, I totally reject this notion that, hey, do you know what? If your Pixar film isn't inside out, if it's not going to fundamentally change the way I think about my emotions, or if it doesn't start with 45 minutes that's basically a silent movie, then Pixar is underperforming. I reject that entirely. Because if you play by those rules, yes, Pixar have made some extraordinary films that do extraordinary things. But if you disregard the sort of ordinary Pixar's, then you'd be disregarding Monsters, Inc., which for me is just like, it's so, so lovely and such a fun, funny adventure. And I think for me, Pixar is on a real roll at the moment. It's lovely to see them doing these original stories again. We've had a real little blast of them between uh, Onward and Soul and now Luca as well. And I think even just like as John said, mid-tier Pixar is still Pixar that we love and that does the things that only Pixar does and does them so much better than so many other places. So I think this one for me has such an identity to it because it is a lower-key Pixar film, because it has a gentler tone and that occupies its own space in the Pixar canon for me. So it's not one of my very favourite Pixar films, but it also had everything that I love about Pixar in it with a couple of other different flavours that we don't always see from them. I think it's important to say as well, considering it is like tottery levels of peril in that it's tepid (laughs) at best. I never felt that the film was lagging or boring. It was always such a a tender character study and I was always interested to see what he was going to see next and discover what trajectory he was going to take alongside him as he was doing it. Even when he did make a few bad calls it was really exciting to see where he was going and again yeah the sense of otherness and discovering 
a feeling of freedom for the first time, I thought was really enchanting. I mean, in terms of jeopardy and emotional stakes, like that moment when Luca basically sort of points to Alberto and says, monster, the betrayal Mm. of that moment, the emotional impact of that moment feels really big. It has big dramatic sort of character stakes to it. I think on the one hand, it, it does feel like a nice kind of quite gentle film. But I also don't think it's a total snooze either. I think it makes it does what cinema should do and takes these quite intimate stories and makes them feel big and epic and also warm and intimate at the same time. You never think at any point that the uh, the physical there's a physical threat to the sea monsters. You know, the movie goes to great lengths. Casa Rosa goes to great lengths to point out. You know, there's probably there seems there seems to be like a pointy edge or a sharp sharp knife or or something like that in almost every single scene that's emphasized an awful lot but you don't get that sense of peril you don't get the sense that you know they're really going to skewer i mean that would be a dark ending they're going to skewer luca and alberto and then they're going to roast him over a spit in the in the village square they're not going to do that although they would taste delicious uh i would say i would say that these are probably the tastiest Probably the tastiest Pixar heroes. I mean, <laughs> Remy from Ratatouille would taste very, very nice as no, well. No, no, he, no. We eat the food he makes. We don't eat Remy the rat. That is the rule. <laughs> Come on. But the food he ingests would then, therefore, make him. He'd be like a grass-fed cow, right? So I'm no, just saying, yeah. he eats all this wonderful Mission Star food. He himself would taste amazing. But these guys, Luca and Alberto, mwah, yes, please. No, Chris, but, Chris, fish are friends. Remember? Oh, damn it. You keep trying to tell me that, but you know. Anyway, uh, so you don't get a sense of physical peril, but you do get a sense of the emotional jeopardy that is at, at stake here. And the, the stakes in that regard are huge for for Luca. And uh, that friendship, we've already talked about, you know, John's talked about that and and certain interpretations of that and the certain, you know, the, the otherness and, uh, uh, and you know, the, the LGBTQ. Uh, reading that you can certainly uh, apply to it is is there, and I think it's absolutely you know, deliberately there as well. Uh, but what was your takeaway also from from that relationship? What was your reading of the, of that relationship, of that friendship, and of Luca himself? I mean, the film is called Luca, so we're anchored to his viewpoint. Uh, we're meant to bond with him more than we are with anyone else, whether it's Giulietta or Alberto. So, what what are your feelings about the title character? I, I think it's a really engaging pair. I, I really connected with Luca and his relationship to Alberto as well, because I've got an older brother and like to me as the little kid, he always seemed like he just knew kind of, he, he was probably blagging it half the time, but it seemed like he knew everything and kind of was really confident. And I was the sort of slightly dorky, shy one figuring out my relationship to that or whatever. So I, I thought that relationship was drawn really nicely in terms of how Luca is excitable and he's ready to explore the land, but also he seems very kind of nervous about it, whereas Alberto is just kind of going forth and doing whatever he wants and kind of making it up as he goes along and faking it till he makes it. But I think the way that their friendship develops over the film, the way that they team up, then that betrayal and then the conclusion of it as well, I think is really beautifully done. Like, I can't stop thinking about that line at the end. Oh God, when the, the train is departing, people are saying that this film oh, isn't like big, sad Pixar. I, I mean, it's not sad, but it was making me tear up at the end when Luca goes off on the train. And that moment when Alberto says, you got me off the island, that basically this character who we've always seen as being kind of very larger than life and very confident was actually extremely isolated and didn't have anyone or anything and was stuck 
on this island who had sort of found a form of freedom and yet didn't have anyone to share it with and didn't have anything meaningful to do with it. That he says mm. to Luca, you got me off that island, I think is, oh, it gives me chills just thinking about it. I love that line. John, did you ask uh, Enrico about about Alberto's father and his his backstory and, and whatnot? I haven't listened to the interview yet, so... Uh... I don't think we got into his father. I mean, what he did say is that this is all slightly based on real life. So Luca is kind of a proxy for Enrico himself. And then Alberto, there was a real friend of his from childhood called Alberto, who he's still friends with and actually consulted with on the film. And so that sort of central relationship is very much... It's obviously not a true story. He's not a sea monster, but uh, um, but it, it's rooted in something quite real. And I think you know that was, from what he was saying that I can recall, that was that was sort of a real driving force of the film is this this idea of really formative friendships at a very formative age, like having a friendship that is really important to your development, and that. I guess from him as a man in his 40s looking back on his life that that's quite an important thing. I think we've all had f- friendships like that, especially in the summer as well, which seems like such a sort of vivid time of your life when you're young, not when you're old and jaded and everything is shit. Yes. There's the, there's the there's the bit early on when they uh they're they're first bonding and Lucas like I've got to go I've got to go and then it's like half an hour later forty five minutes later two hours later <laughs> yeah. and that's absolutely something that I did as a kid but now it's like you know which what's made it worse is that the pandemic you would think would drive us the other way but now when we are lucky enough to see our friends in person it's like hey how's it going God I haven't seen you in a year and a half. Right, well, I'd best be going then. <laughs> Whereas as a kid, and maybe it's because, I don't know, your sense of time is more malleable mm. as a kid and it stretches in a different way. It's just like, yeah, sure, okay, absolutely. I'll, I'll spend, you know, every day and every waking day and every waking hour with this person because, you know, they, they, they get me and I get them in a way that, you know, when that happens, it's really exhilarating. Yeah, that like boundless curiosity that comes with it. I saw a great tweet actually around the pandemic where someone said that they are, interacting with people as they would with their eighth grade crush, just can't look them in the face, can't get away from them quick enough, can't really say fully formed words to them. And yeah, yeah, it's funny that you notice that now it feels definitely heightened in the past year when social interaction is a challenge. But when you're young and and invigorated and curious and you have somebody showing you all these things that you didn't realize that you wanted until they're very much in front of you, I think it's lovely. Um, In terms of that that central relationship. It, I was looking at Ian and Bali from Onward, who there are similarities there in that the Bali, who's Chris Pratt's character, you know, with his boundless energy and he's got that very much like a Labrador just constantly barreling around and, you know, trying to encourage his brother to be less safe in the same respects that Alberto is with Luca. But it's a different reading in that I feel like Alberto and, and Luca are very much aligned in what they're trying to do and that Luca's already already got that in him. He just needs a little bit of guidance, and then it's it's lovely to see him overtaking Alberto in a way and teaching Alberto mm. um, certain things as well. But it's it's interesting with the otherness again, and to come back to perhaps the queer element of the relationship because I read it very differently to a sibling relationship. I didn't look at them and think of it as a brotherly love. It's a 
you know, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that it's the beginning of, of a, a queer realization, but it's just a new kind of relationship that's being shown in a Pixar film, I think. And I like that. It shows that it's not binary. And I think that that's very exciting. And the way as well that um, I'm not going to say her name well, so I apologize, but Julia comes in and, and also has an ambiguous relationship with both of them. It's all yeah. very loving and it's all very, I mean, there's a, there's a unspoken rivalry between Alberto and, and Julia, but you know, it's never really defined as anything in particular. It's never necessarily romantic, but it's, you know, perhaps more than platonic. So mm-hmm. it's a, I think it's a nice lesson to, to show younger people who are watching it as well that, you know, relationships don't necessarily have to be labeled to be significant. It's interesting, uh, uh, Julia or uh, Julietta as her father calls her, but everyone else calls her Julia as far as I could tell. I've only seen the film once, so everyone else who's seen it more than once can can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. She could so easily have been almost that character that you can imagine the nervous studio inserting into the plot like we need something here because yes well you know yes well we're more than happy with the message that you're saying and you're trying to convey we're still a little bit nervous about having a same-sex friendship or with, with, with potential queer overtones you know on disney plus so let's let's make sure that we have a, a lady in there so that luca can have a, a, a relationship with her she doesn't feel like that at all she doesn't feel like she's been mandated by by studios and her relationship with with Luca went into a very, very different direction because that's what I thought she was there for, you know, and she goes in a very, very different direction. And, and she's there actually to push him on in a different direction into, you know, that you know, one of the messages of the film is to be educated, get yourself educated and strive to be better. And learning is fun, folks. You know, this is one of the few movies I can remember where you know, school is presented as something that's aspirational and you want to go to school and you want to, you want to learn and you want to, uh, you want to improve yourself and you want to improve your understanding of, of the world and the way the world works. And the last shot of the movie, yeah, it's, it's, it's Luca, you know, leaving his friend behind. It's Luca showing his true colors, but it's also Luca with a, a boundless horizon in front of him, sticking his head out of the Hogwarts Express and, <laughs> you know, and just being, just being overcome and, and joyful about what the future holds for him and what the future holds for him is school. And that's a really interesting message, I would say, as well, to impart. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here, I think. I think that goes two ways as well, because I think what's lovely about it is that Luca has so much to learn about the world and wants to learn so much about the world, but also the world has a lot to learn about Luca and Alberto too. And and that kind of trade-off at the end, I think, is lovely. Again, there's a really beautiful line. I think it's maybe Luca's mum who's saying, oh, he, he seems to have a knack for finding the right kind of people who will accept him. And mm-hmm. yeah. the fact that um, you sense that he's going to go out into the world and yet yeah, he's going to have an impact on the world as well as the world having an impact on him is a, a lovely sort of two-way thing which uh, again yeah ties into all of that feeling of, of education and, and learning and experiencing so much of this film is about experiences of Luca and Alberto getting out of the sea and just like what if we just put all these boxes on wheels and flew it off a ramp like let's just see what happens that's going to be great it's just about them like soaking in all of these experiences together and i i think that all kind of dovetails really really nicely with the with the theme of of kind of them having to hide themselves but realizing there's nothing to hide or that yeah maybe people need to be more accepting of them and, and have something to learn too the the line which maybe this is the one you mentioned ben that that i think it's from luca's grandma that some people will never 
accept him, but some will. I thought that was that was such a beautifully put, very simple, but beautifully put line, and and something I think would resonate with a lot of people. This idea that you know you're you're going to go through life where lots of people just won't accept you, but that's okay. You know, it's just life. It's quite a yeah, quite a powerful lesson mm. for for someone who stands out or who's different. I mean, I, I think Pixar does really well with that as well of just kind of offering up slightly different like ideas. I remember seeing Monsters University and being really stunned at it. Basically, the the theme of that is, hey, you know that one thing that you really really want to do, you might not be very good at it, and that's might not change. <laughs> so you might have to just change what that is and find what else you're good at, and you probably enjoy that as well. Like Mike wants to be the like top scarer and he's just not scary it's just not who he is and i remember seeing that and thinking like that is so so many um kids films or like animated films it's like oh do you know what you can be whatever you want and to have a film that's like in a gentle way saying maybe maybe you can't but you will find something that's really good for you um i i feel like pixar does a good job at kind of coming up with these slightly more realistic or slightly tweaked from the uh kind of cliche messages and i think you feel that in luca as well Pixar is the world's parent, isn't it? It's it's <laughs> basically bringing our kids up. Just so very sweetly, like managing our expectations, really, while the parents try and plump us up. Pixar's there, just very like gently but <laughs> nourishingly bringing us down a peg or two, <laughs> yeah. which is very sweet. Thank you, thank It'd be you. Amazing with with Disney Plus technology, they might be actually able to target people individually. So if I were to watch Monsters University now. Would Mike turn to the screen and go, you know what, Chris, <laughs> podcasting isn't for you. Uh, you've given it a good go. But honestly, mate, try something else. And literally anything else. <laughs> they, they could do that, I think. With with uh, advanced technology, two or three years' time, we'll be there. <laughs> Have you tried welding, Chris? <laughs> Have you tried? <laughs> I think the one thing I would do worse than podcasting is welding. That would be a terrible, terrible idea. And I can't kill anyone with a podcast. I can kill someone with a uh, welding stick. Oh, See, that's how bad I am at welding. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, but going back to Disney+, Plus, this is on Disney+, Plus, and it's on exclusively on Disney+, Plus, and uh, that makes me really sad because Ooh. I think that a movie this beautiful, and it is beautiful, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I had a very, very good time with it. I'm probably in the high three, low four camp. Maybe a second viewing will will rocket it upwards for me in in terms of it, you know my estimation of it. But it's such a beautiful movie. the mm. the The seascapes, the uh, the Italian village, uh, is somewhere I really want to go. You know, as as Liz Lemon might say, I want to go to there. Uh, it you know it's there's obviously been, there's been lots of glib comparisons between this and Call Me by Your Name for all kinds of reasons, but. <laughs> But both of those movies just make you want to go to Italy, yeah. whether it's animated or real or not. You just want to go there. And Disney Plus, I just feel like robs it a little bit of that impact. Or, or maybe it will actually bring it into more eyeballs and bring it to more eyeballs than it, this might have might have had had it been up in the, on the big screen. Because it does feel sight unseen going into it, looking at the poster and the trailer and whatnot. It felt a little inessential to me. So maybe mm. the fact that people can access it wherever they want, I don't know. Where, where, where do you stand on the on the Disney Plus uh, Disney Plusization of it all? I, I think it's a trade off because 
I'm so sad that this isn't available to see on cinema screens, even if you wanted to, even if you were like, it's free on Disney+, Plus, but I will pay money to go and see this beautiful Italian vista on the big screen. I, I would love to see it on the big screen. And at the same time, I think it has brought it to a lot of people's eyeballs. I, I think it was a real shame when Onward came out just before the pandemic that no way near as many people saw that as would maybe have done. And obviously it came to Disney+, Plus months down the line, and I've seen various tweets and people have tweeted me about it here and there saying, oh, I finally watched this finally got around to catching up with this on Disney Plus but it didn't hit in the the way that a Pixar film normally would I think Soul kind of did but it was around Christmas and everyone was tweeting about all sorts of different stuff and Wonder Woman was out at the same time and so it didn't really have its moment whereas I was really pleasantly surprised when Luca came out I feel like Disney didn't make a huge deal about the weekend that it was coming out it didn't feel like Mm. they were particularly shouting about it and yet I saw loads of people on Twitter going oh I've just watched Luca on Disney Plus and it was so so lovely that was like exactly what I needed and I had a great time with it I think the the reactions and things on Twitter I've seen have been warmer than quite a few of the reviews have been so I'm kind of sad that it's not able to be on the big screen and that there's not even that option I feel sorry for the people who made it who will have intended it to be seen that way kind of not being given that option and the fact that it kind of gives you this idea that hey this is a more intimate story so you don't have to pay more to see it because it's not I don't know, Raya and the Last Dragon, which I also love, but like the fact that one of those you have to pay 30 quid for and one that you don't feels just like weird and arbitrary to me. But I am really glad that it has meant that a lot of people have seen it and that there's been a bit of noise around this film that could have easily been kind of slightly uh, muted had it been kind of released in a way that not as many people were able to catch it. Yeah, I would agree with you there. It is... I think, and I've used this word already on the pod today, but like it's it's definitely a nourishing film at a time when, and I'm glancing at my window here, but a torrential downpour. But it's a you know <laughs> you can you can all but just feel that sun sort of prickling your skin and those beautiful Italian Ghibli esque vistas, and there's a really beautiful scene where Alberto is eating just a variation of pastas, and I feel like that whole scene was orchestrated just so that they could animate these various different um, types of pasta and to see the steam coming off that and, you know, the joys of a home cooked meal, you know, through this makeshift family, there's, there's, there's things that will undeniably touch you at any time. And I think, you know, we're still in, we're not in the clear yet. I think if it does mean that it does reach a lot of people, the option to see it on the big screen would be lovely. And I do feel like we've been robbed in that sense. But the idea that this is reaching people who perhaps wouldn't have sought it out otherwise is not a bad thing, I don't think. I hope that Disney Plus, though, doesn't become Pixar's permanent home. No. That would be, that would be a shame. That would be a real shame. I did read, I can't remember where, one of the Hollywood trade papers that I think some Pixar employees were a little disgruntled that these films have just been shoved onto Disney Plus and also have been pushed onto Disney Plus for free, which, mm. you know, there, I think maybe there's some disgruntlement from some quarters of Pixar that that's maybe devaluing the product. And their films are always done with so much craft, like every frame is just chock full of craft and love and care and time. They really put their heart and soul into every single one, even if not all of them uh, uh, absolute stone cold masterpieces so i think i think from what we're hearing i think the next film will be theatrical it's turning red is the next pixar isn't it and i think there have been assurances that it won't be just a disney plus film because Woo-hoo! 
That, that was quick. Be... Well done, John. There you go. <laughs> John, the hero we need and the hero we deserve. I greenlit it, guys. Don't worry. I sorted it all out. Um, yeah, Amazing I think stuff. They need a big screen. You need a big screen for these films. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should just get a bigger TV. I've got a 55-inch TV, but maybe I'm sitting too far away from it, or maybe I just need a, a bigger TV. So any donations to the Chris Hewitt Bigger TV Fund are gratefully <laughs> accepted. Uh, uh, let's talk about a couple of uh, last things before we wrap this this bad boy up. Uh, let's talk about the Italianness of this movie. So uh, Enrico Casarosa is Italian. He is from uh, Genoa. But is there a sense also that it is deliberately knowingly caricatured in that in that wonderful picture postcard way? That's a very fine line to tread, I would say. <laughs> and they treads it very well. Yeah, I mean, I loved the way that Julia, for example, just went through various types of cheeses when she made her expressions, you know, Santa mozzarella, you know, <laughs> yeah. which I don't think is what real Italian people say. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but it's lovely. It's very like it's a sort of charming caricature, isn't it? And there's a lot of that. I I noticed there was like a boat just called Focaccia. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> they're just chucking in like famous Italian words that Americans have heard of. But I no, it's it's like it's nice, isn't it? It's it's. It, I think that it is sort of treading towards cliche, but in a kind of pleasing cliche. I'm sure I I'd be interested to hear what a real Italian person would think of it maybe there might be some purists who think it is slightly stereotyped but i i just wanted to go on holiday to porto rosso i just thought it looked lovely it made me yeah, yeah want to get on a plane god mm. all that pesto linguine is just oh, off the hook yes. and this is something i love about pixar as well i know some people kind of turn their nose up a bit at the very stylized character designs in this which I really like. I think they look kind of quite distinct from all the other Pixar characters that we've seen in recent years. But it's not that Pixar doesn't know how to do like detailed or realistic. They're just choosing which bits to make kind of photo real because you look at those mm. pasta dishes and it mm. looks absolutely amazing and it looks mm. real and it looks textured. You could taste it when you see it. But I think it's being really fun and playful with the textures and the smells and the tastes of the pasta and the the gelato. And it is a kind of, they are ultimately making this for an American audience. Like it has to have that slightly softer edge to it. But I think it's done with love and playfulness on, on Casa Rosa's part. I don't think it's done out of laziness more than out of um, a sense of kind of, yeah, playful affection. It was interesting to me, the casting is interesting in that... Uh, pretty much everyone who is playing an Italian villager is Italian or I'm guessing Italian-American. And obviously everyone who is a sea monster is American. So you have Jacob Tremblay, Jack Dylan Grazer, Maya Rudolph, Jim Gaffigan, Sasha Baron Cohen, who's obviously British. <laughs> yes, uh, Uncle Hugo. And we should, we should definitely talk about him we need to before talk we about wrap Hugo. this up. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Emma Berman, who plays Julia, is not Italian or you know or Italian American, I think, as far as I know. But uh, there, there seems to be what I'm trying to say in my cat kind of way is that you know there's 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 <laughs> in amongst the caricature and in, in amongst the the knowing cliche there 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 is a striving for authenticity here as well. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, yeah, you're right. We can't deny. I mean, the the literal goal for the first half of the film is that boys want a Vespa. 
Like there's there's no yeah. avoiding this. Like it's not yeah. light. It's not nuanced. That, that makes me think of Liam Gallagher as much these days as it does <laughs> Roman Holiday and, 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 like, and Italy. Should be a Just a couple of months. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think the only time it does lean a little too heavily on the caricature is the the very preening nemesis, the very um, inflated local bully. Who wants to win the race? I think that was the the one time it just just was a hair over for, for me. But ultimately, as as we said, it's embedded in the director's childhood and comes from a place of, you know, it's embellished, but it comes from an from a very sincere and authentic place, and and you've got to admire that. I think. Ercole is the uh, is the bad guy, voiced by Saverio Raimondo. That was the one character for me. The stuff cut tied into that character just didn't really work for me that much. I loved all mm. of the stuff between Luca and Alberto and the opening act of them kind of discovering each other and him stepping out of the water for the first time and then making their little makeshift Vespa stuff was really cute and lovely. And then uh, the point where they get to the town, I really liked all the stuff with, with Julia and the continuing friendship. But the the Ercoli storyline, I think partly because mm-hmm. of what Beth is saying in terms of that that character is like next level stereotype compared to anything else that's happening here. Um, and it's just, I don't know, I just didn't vibe with that character. And I felt like as soon as it tried to get the plot gears turning on that, kind of rivalry weirdly the film slowed down and was kind of more entertaining and and more freewheeling when it was just these characters hanging out and kind of let's cobble together a vesper let's try and win this race Mm -hmm. it it didn't kind of ruin the film for me but i think that is the the one thread of it that um felt i think maybe nick put in his review and i do agree with that actually it felt a bit ordinary or a bit just kind of standard um that they had to kind of beat this bully yeah. Do you know the interesting thing about that character for me as I as I watched the movie uh, was I was convinced he was also a sea monster. Right. That would have been great. That I would have loved to have seen. But he was ashamed or he was genuinely trying to hide his true nature and he didn't embrace who he was. And I thought, because I was going, I haven't seen this guy. He's on the water, but he hasn't been touched by the water. And he, he's always mm. getting his friend to do something with water. And I thought that's going to be the big reveal. Uh, and then obviously it started raining in the final race. And I was like, ah. I'm wrong. He's just a bully. That's less interesting. Yeah, he was very two-dimensional. I feel like almost they they needed something. They were like, we have we have literally no peril, guys. Because something that I really liked about the film is there were several parental figures in the film, but none of them. It would have been very easy to have made a lot more friction between the boys and the the parents. You know, they could have mm. vilified the parents to an extent, and I'm really pleased they don't. Partly because Maya Rudolph is one of my favorite character actors of all time and I she got to have as with everything she's in she got to have so much fun with this film but there was there was no real interference from the parents which I thought was something that really added to the the charm for me so I feel like it was it was just a shortcut to peril they just needed something they needed some sort of obstacle and it was this very two-dimensional character I say we should have brought Sasha Baron Cohen's character in more and just I don't know what he could have done, but just got him in to kind of stir the waters a little bit. I'm interested to hear what happened there because he must have had a bigger part. He must have done. That can't, like, that can't have been it because that was my favourite scene in the film. <laughs> did, did you see the post credit sequence? There is a little a little bonus Ugo <gasps> no! at the end. So no! it's worth watching all the way to the end of the credits because you get a little bit of extra <sighs> Ugo magic. I mean, for me, in a world where we got, and don't get me wrong, I loved this, in a world where we got Forky Asks a Question, where is the Uncle Ugo <laughs> Disney Plus spin-off? Like, 
give me that right now. Just let uh, Sasha Baron Cohen riff. Let him do a weird voice and talk about the deep sea while his eyes bog everywhere. And I would I, I'd watch the raw footage. They don't even have to animate that. I could just watch that as it is. One thing that um, the director uh, told me was that that post-credits thing came out of Sasha Baron Cohen just riffing. Like, I think they just let him loose in the recording booth, just like, yeah, go nuts. And he's just like waffling on in his strange little vaguely Italian voice. And then they cut that into a into a post-credits scene, which is Amazing. so good. So there's probably acres of, of unused recording stuff. I'm sure they could spin off into a... An extra show. We want more Hugo. We demand more Hugo. Please. Release the Hugo cut. <laughs> All right. Uh, so anything else you want to say about this movie? Any other uh, best bits we haven't talked about? Uh, any worst bits we haven't talked about? No, let's accentuate the positive. Uh, anything that you really liked or just wanted to get off your chest? I think just the, the fluidity of the of the transformations of, of Luca and Alberto from human to fish, the way that they get kind of splashed at moments and that gorgeous scene where they're jumping in and out of the water and they're transforming back and forth. I think it's so easy to take that stuff for granted, but I think it's just beautiful. And the way they have these two character models for each of them, that you keep the centrality of that character and who that character is, but they're instantly recognizable as themselves in either form. The way that they're kind of uh, hair, the, the way that the, the scales then transforms mm. into a little, pop of hair the the texture and the the springiness of it oh, i love i love all the character design and, and the feel of this um so much i think yeah. these are just really really lovely characters to spend time with and and to look at as well just such a summary sun-kissed film as we were saying weirdly enough on the in the earth spoiler special that uh, ben and i just recorded before this uh which is also a movie with a lot of barefoot action but this is so so many bare feet in this movie that I genuinely thought it was guest directed by Quentin Tarantino at one point. It's it's proper sun kissed and sun dappled. It's it's just a gorgeous thing to to look at. The only thing I would add, um, which we haven't mentioned, is uh, it has a good cat. Oh, Machiavelli. Cat. Machiavelli. Machiavelli. He Ben's doing a stunning uh, homage to at the moment with his little moustache. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I feel I feel like I've got more of an Air Coley moustache, his little wispy uh, whiskers there. <laughs> Ben's like me. It's like, that's like six months growth, yeah. isn't it, Ben? Yeah. That's like, you're just, <laughs> just about. Chris did that in a morning. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do facial hair at all, but nevertheless, I'm I'm undeterred. I'm, I'm never going to stop trying. Uh, you've just reminded me of a couple of things I did want to talk about really, really really quickly uh one is i really really liked uh juliet slash Julietta's dad uh mm. massimo this great big bear mm. of a man and again you know it's, it's small but it's there about acceptance and, and otherness that he has one arm and you're thinking there's a backstory here there's a backstory but no it's just i was born like this and this is it and look how proficient i am and just accept me the way i am uh so that ties very nicely into things uh, as well uh and uh, I can't believe we're going to not talk about Gino DeCampo. How can we not? <laughs> How can we not? Uh, I mean, Gino DeCampo was in this movie? Ben, ben, Wait, is, ben is furiously Googling. <laughs> he's, a, he's a priest. Did you not see? There was like they made a whole thing watched, about this. I watched the featurette about him recording his lines before watching the film. And I don't even rem remember the priest. I don't. I've seen this. <laughs> what? what Was he in the film? The priest, yes, he has three lines. Oh my god! I counted him. I, I counted him. I was not aware why, of this. Why is he in the film? 
What? They what? do that sometimes. It's like it'll be the English language version. I recently um, watched Shrek Two on Netflix, and it was really weird. Jonathan Ross. Well, it wasn't Jonathan Ross, so I grew up with Jonathan Ross on no. VHS, and it was like the American version. It was somebody else doing the ugly stepsister. Larry King, isn't it? It's Larry King. Right. I didn't know who it was. I was just like, "You're not Jonathan Ross. This is weird." Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I mean, if you do Gino Gino DeCampo with his sort of weird, how real is that accent? Let's let's be honest. The thing is, everybody is doing a bit of a Gino DeCampo sort of possibly quite real but also slightly fakey sounding Italian accent. How are you supposed to pick out that, oh, that's a bit of stunt casting of Gino DeCampo? How are you supposed to know? Also, who's going to see this movie for Gino DeCampo? Like, like who, who's, who's undecided until they know that perky TV chef Gino DeCampo is voicing a priest for approximately 30 seconds, studded across 104 minutes? Who's going, well, you know what? You know what? I'm going to get myself a Disney Plus subscription. That sounds good. Do you like a bit of Gino DeCampo? The daytime TV demographic is a powerful demographic. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Also, he's a very interesting guy, Gino DeCampo. I'm not going to say too much here, but uh, but Google him. Google him. He's done time. Did you know that? What? Mm-hmm. What? He's done time. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, he he what, crimes what, against accents. He, <laughs> In 1998, DeCampo was convicted of burgling singer Paul Young's London home what? and served two years in prison. Now, first of all, finding Paul Young's home is difficult because wherever he lays his hat, that's his home. So you have to stalk the guy for hat. months. Yes, it's just he just took a hat. Paul Young was like, oh, hey, that's my home, you fucker. What are you doing? <laughs> DeCampo has apologised to Young, who accepted and suggested that DeCampo could invite him to dinner in his restaurant. <laughs> Is that justice? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Look it up. It's on. It's on the internet, so it's true. <laughs> God. But I, yeah, because I've seen Paul Young interviewed about this, and I've seen Gino DeCampo interviewed about this as well, because it's actually, in a way, a touching tale about how you can make mistakes in your life and move beyond it and be accepted by people for who you are, which is the message of this film. Oh, my God. What a way to bring it home. That is it. <laughs> On that note, that is it for our Lucas Spoiler Special. Join us next time for more Spoiler Special related fun. Thank you so much for subscribing, guys. It really does mean a lot that you subscribe and you support us the way that you do. Uh, so keep them peeled. There's going to be more stuff coming your way over the next few weeks whole bunch of Loki related stuff of course uh, there's going to be all kinds of movie stuff as well Fast 9 and Ben give me a big film Black Widow In the Heights all these things all these things will be coming your way over the next few weeks if you don't already listen to the regular podcast and please do so uh, but until we meet again until then until that auspicious occasion it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning and their so amusing squadcast names it's a me, Nugentio. Really, John Nugent? Really? It, yeah, it's Italy's <laughs> most famous man, Super Mario. Uh. <laughs> God. Dear, dear God. And the tagline on the games. <laughs> dear, dear God. There you go. Oh, well. Uh, he's a John. He's a going to win. Uh, it is goodbye from Silencio Bethio. Beth Webb. Um, I was going to say buongiorno then, which is not right. <laughs> Ciao.
Ciao. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. I need to. I need to learn Italian. Yeah, I do. I need to learn Italian. Uh, it's goodbye from Pasta La Fiesta, baby. Ben Travis. Oh, I was going to say Arrivederci. Is that a thing? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a very Silenzio Bruno approach to it. I'm just going to say it. Arrivederci. I feel like we have we've talked an awful lot about stereotypes and caricatures and how right. to avoid them, and I feel we've undone all our good work in the space of two minutes. Can I just say, I was on a holiday, a family holiday in Italy, and our car broke down, and we took it to um, a little garage in an Italian village, and when the man looked at whatever was happening with the car, he literally said, Mamma mia, and it made the entire <laughs> holiday for me. So oh my it's God. real. Italian people do say that. Done in. <laughs> it was awesome. Wow. <laughs> guys, 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 I've just realized something. What? Where the fuck is John Ratzenberger? I don't know. Where did you put him? Is he in that hat? He's not in the film. Obviously, I will have listened to the interview subsequently, but why? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They just said, um, I because I thought it was originally listed that Mr. What, what's Sasha Baron Cohen's character called? Mr. U- Uncle Hugo. Uncle Hugo. Uncle Hugo. Wikipedia had him listed as voiced by John Ratzenberger, but that was incorrect, obviously. And I asked him, where was Ratzenberger in the film? He's, you know, I know that's a Pixar tradition to have him in every Pixar film. And they said, we're we're letting that tradition to rest. So I think they have a new tradition. I can't remember who, but one of the previous Pixar directors is a voice in this film. And I think he's been a voice in a lot of them. I don't know why. Who cares? He's not John Ratzenberger. He's not John Ratzenberger. Um, Two stars then for Luca. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, they Pixar used to say he was like their good luck charm. So, but it doesn't seem to have affected the luck of this film too badly. It's a it's funny one though, isn't it? Maybe he's just retired. I don't know. I'm furious. I'm absolutely furious. I'm furious. But anyway, on that note, it is definitely goodbye from us. These guys have already said goodbye. It's goodbye from me. Luca, who's talking. I'm off to one-up Ben by naming all 24 Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Backwards. Black Widow. Spider-Man Far From Home. Avengers Endgame. And the others. Thanks for listening. See you, bye. Bye.